8th of May, 1923. They can't wait until nightfall. And I'm just like them because I have never wanted anything more than company and dancing. 18th of November, 1923. We had a little dancing again today because the day was very cold and it's a great way to get warm. Before it began, little Pats took out two Jews harps from his pocket and he gave one of them to me, and it was so lovely to hear the two of us play the same tune. We just needed to be given the nod and four people got up and Pats and I played for them with the two harps. The literature of the Blasket Islands is renowned throughout the world, especially the three great autobiographical works, Umtolona, The Island Man by Tomas O'Crihan. Fehrblina Force, 20 Years Are Growing by Mauricio Sullivan, and Peg by Peg Sayers. These accounts opened a window onto the simple, austere but culturally vibrant life of a small island community some three miles off the west coast of Kerry. It was a life almost untouched by the Industrial Age and one that attracted scholars and visitors because of the richness of the Irish spoken there. It's perhaps surprising, given the international status of the Blaskets, that the music of those islands, which is often mentioned in the books, remains relatively unknown. Music like the slow air Beauty Dasana Lawn, played here by Brendan Begley. As we'll see, it's a tune closely associated with the Blaskets. Although music was recorded in written form on the Blaskets by collectors over the years, there are no surviving audio recordings actually made on the islands. But musicians and singers were recorded on the mainland after the Great Blasket was evacuated in 1953. Folklorist Rena Kiyogon. I was very privileged to meet former islanders in the late 1970s and 1980s and they had moved to the mainland at that point and they played music and sang songs that would have been uh, heard and sung on the island and 
I began to talk to people about this music and song and they would describe occasions on the island where people would gather in and have dances and songs and fun. who'd moved across to the mainland as a child was the accordion player Marisha Dawley, better known to one and all, including his family, simply as Dawley. That's Dawley now, playing a jig known as the Leg of the Duck. He was born on Inishvikalon and... Dawley is a legendary player amongst West Kerry musicians. His influence is still heard in players today, and his daughter Maura remembers how there could be music in the house in Dunhuin on any night. I'd go to school. Um, you know, we'd have to get up the following morning for school, but the night before there could be a party in the house and music and singing and dancing, you know, all night. I remember peeping around the, the door and they'd be dancing and, you know, I remember people around the door, my mother would say, go to bed, you know. Cheer, you couldn't sleep because of the music and the singing and the dancing and they'd be outside the house and loads of people. But they, yeah, there was music all the time. There was music, you know, people would come, you know, taking, you know, tunes and recording and, you know, like the Brown Don Bigley and lots more people besides, you know, just constantly come to the house when we were small. We had, um, on the floor, they had a kind of um, cement floors, and you know, in those times. And every morning after a party, you know, the floor would be white. And usually it wouldn't be, you know, but every, every morning after, say, set dancing, after a ball night, the floor would be pure white with all the people dancing and, you know, the, the, the hobnail boots and everything else. Dawley wasn't a professional musician. He was a farmer and a fisherman. And although he was very much in demand in his community, there was no payment involved. Oh, no, they never got paid. No way. No, no, no. Um, but uh, no, it was just for the, for the pure pleasure of it. And just, you know, they would go, you know, people are always coming to the house asking him, you know, come along, we'll go to Boher Pub or we'll go to um, um, Bally David or Fiohunach or Cruj, well, especially Cruj's because it's so close to him. But um, he, at the drop of a hat, he'd be gone, you know, playing, <laughs> playing the tunes. And so then, you know, the, the pubs used to be packed in those times, as we all remember. And, you know, any excuse at all, you know, just to get out and set dancing and waltzing and... No, it was just uh, for the pure pleasure. There was no, there was no payment that we know anyway. I, I don't think so. Um, he loved playing for, you know, he loved playing for set dancers, you know, and, I mean. 
um, later on then, you know, there were kind of set dancing competitions. I remember, you know, if, if you weren't a good set dancer, you know, you wouldn't really go out set dancing, you know, you wouldn't really go out in a set dancing in the set. But in when when he used to play, I remember people would dance, and especially old people, they were they were totally different to kind of to kind of, you know, you know, people kind of who were in the in the in the competitions because they just wanted to dance the set for the love of dancing, you know, and they loved set dancing. And that was their thing really, you know, that was their their night out, set dancing. And he just really enjoyed watching, you know, his neighbours and the people of the village and from the near nearby villages as well, you know, just dancing and playing for them, and he just he really loved it. I remember when I was a teenager, um, I wasn't the best dance, set dancer in the world. My sister Leash now, she was being a very very good set dancer, whereas I wasn't. But he would always always say, you know, just go out dancing the set. And I said, but I'm not not very good at that. And he said, just go out and dance the set, you know. And he was very encouraging that way. And I was very shy as well. You know, I was the shy one in the family and, you know, I wouldn't really be kind of go out kind of dancing. But he was, you know, very encouraging and he loved just seeing different people, everybody out dancing, you know, the sets and the waltzing as well. And they loved the waltz for the old time waltz. In her diary from the Great Blasket, Eileen O'Sullivan often mentions her love of music, song and dance, and her diary gives a sense of the part these things played in the life of the community, where, alongside storytelling, they were the chief recreational pastimes. 18th of June, 1923. The morning was nearly over by the time I woke, and I didn't wake of my own accord. I had to be called. But that was no surprise to me because it was half past one by the time we came home last night. But what a great night of fun it was. Even the old women and the old men were there and they didn't see the point in being there unless they danced as well. Younger musicians continue the tradition. Dingle player Aoife Granville's grandmother, Leon, lived on the island. So she was a daily and she was very proud of, she would have been very um, friendly with, we'll say, Tom Fadi Varis or Tom Nehinesha, Tom Daly and Dolly. And also then Kate Kearney was her niece. So they were like peas in a pod, the two of them. So she would often be talking ab about a lot of the islanders and what they would have been doing and songs they would have sung and songs she'd sing and all of that thing. So I guess we would have learned a lot about the traditions even and that. And she also would have had a lot of cures. She was known for having a cure for the shingles now, for example. So um, people would have traveled to her for that. And I remember having to bring, <laughs> at one stage we would have been very young, bringing whatever magic cure she had for the shingles up to our granddad Galway at one stage, or and it would be or for some neighbor theirs as well. So she was well known for the cures and was very interested in that. And uh, yeah, she was a great singer and a lot of the songs she would have sung and our, our granddad as well 
were the songs that would be known on the island, really, um, from Rites of Smichati to um, Eamon Vaughan, as she sang, and different other songs as well. Yeah. Eamon Magonia is a song mentioned by Moorish O'Sullivan in his account of life on the Blaskets, 20 Years Are Growing. He tells us in the book of his particular fondness for the song, and Aoife Granville gives it a wonderful interpretation here, accompanied by her sister Deirdre on the harp. In 1992, Rhianna Kiogon put together a selection of music and song related to the Blaskets. It was a collection made up from archived recordings in the National Folklore Collection and more recent field recordings, some indeed made by herself. And the collection has been reissued under the original title of Beauty and Lawn, but with the addition of new material. To date, this is the only publication of recordings exclusively devoted to the music of the Blaskets, and the title was inspired by a song with direct connections to the island, Beauty Das and Alon. And Roshi Nichelika is keeping Beauty Das and Alon alive in the traditional style. <laughs> Come to serve beauty, das and the lawn. The horn is she horn, go come, hovan and hushlon. The harring she clue, le crew, a fairer drug. Is the verm the cougar, le shula, hogan, sheen draws. Songs like Beauty, das and the lawn. 
are well known throughout Kirk Arena and beyond indeed and it tells the story of a race, a boat race which took place and it, it was in the late 19th century and a poet by the name of Sean O'Donnell Clay who is known as the Island Poet composed the song Beauty on a Lawn and it conjures up uh, an image of the relationship between the Basket Islanders and the mainlanders or the people from Dingle and apparently the crew, the Blasket Island crew were persuaded uh, to take part in this particular race with not great expectation that they might win the race but they actually won the race and the poet Sean O'Donnell Clay was so excited about this that he ran into the sea apparently to congratulate the men who had who were in charge of the, the island boat and within a couple of hours he had composed this song Beauty Das in the Lawn there was no pub on the island and people gathered into a house called Undal, which means a, a gathering uh, in winter evenings to to dance and sing, but on Sundays, apparently, the dances took place on the island of Beganish, which is a very small uh, island, very close to the, the Great Blasket, but it was an even surface where people could gather on Sunday afternoons, fine Sunday afternoons, and dance there. <laughs> had a, a particular style on the island like it's so rhythmic and I mean rhythm is a big part of the music in West Kerry anyway I think a, a punchy sort of a rhythm you know um, but I think the islanders mm, I think the fiddle style is very particular um, and and people like Dolly like I think his style of playing so I hear the you know I think you can recognise Dolly over any box player that on the peninsula ever and from the rhythm of the left hand, the bass notes, um, which I think probably uh, would have been influenced somewhat by the set dancing, you'd maybe think that rhythm. So sometimes it's almost offbeat. So his individual box style, I think, is very distinct and connected with the island. Eighteenth of July, nineteen twenty-three. I was dancing in the haggard and singing to myself when I got a wallop on my back, and I looked around, and who was it? Only Small Eilish, and she had a book of songs with her. I preferred her to have that rather than a box of sweets, because when we were finished in the haggard, we stretched out on the green patch, and we spent the rest of the evening singing, and the sun was shining. Any um, 
timber that was, you know, washed in from wrecks or, you know, um, they used to make, you know, they recycled everything. They made fiddles, they made coffins, they made anything, you name it, furniture. They made tables, you know, anything from, from wood that was washed in, which was very valuable to them, all these, you know, sea wrecks that were washed in, you know, on the, on the cliffs and everything else. And totally fearless, you know, on the sea. They would, you know, bring the Nevog out to Inishviklaan to treat them, you know, and their oars, like, would be... This is before the time of the of the, the engines, you know, the outboard engines came. And they would, you know, travel to Inishviklaan, they would treat them in the Nevog with the oars, and the sea didn't... But they were, they were just natural, you know, on the sea. And I suppose they could read the sea, you know, and the conditions of the sea from the moon and... You know, they so were expert seamen, all the islanders, all the Blasket Islanders were, they had to. You know, their whole lives, you know, depended, their livelihood depended on the sea, you know. And they were, you know, just natural, you know, fishermen and they could, you know, their whole lives revolved around the sea, really, you know, all the islanders. And from those long summers of childhood, Maura has an early memory of her father and his brothers, Paddy and Tom. I remember when I was a child, I was very attached to him, you know. I don't know why I was very attached to him, but he used to go to Inchviklaan with my with Paddy and Tom for three or four weeks every summer. And I remember I used to be broken-hearted, absolutely broken-hearted. And every day I'd go out to the gate and see would he be walking from the pier towards our house. And the day came that he would walk and I would run and I'd, you'd always smell the fish, you know, the smell of the fish. And he, had, he used to have a big um, sack of, you know, fish and rabbits and everything else on his back. And it was so exciting for me because, you know, it was so close to him, you know, that kind of way. So that's, that's one of my earliest memories of him. <laughs> music travelled to the island in different ways. Fishermen would come from Ivrahach and might go to the island of Tirach where there was a, a lighthouse and the fishermen would exchange tunes and songs and the tunes then would travel and it was very much at that time before 1953, before the Great Blasket, um, before the people left the Great Blasket, at that time it was very much an oral tradition. These tunes weren't written down, they were um, acquired by ear. And I remember talking to a Blasket Island fiddle player, Seanine Vicolo Suluan, and he was one of the people whom I visited and recorded in, in his house in the Unchwein. And I was asking him where he learned his tunes. And he said, well, we used to go to the races, the horse races in, in Dingle every year. And there was a woman there called Mrs. Casey who played the concertina. And Seanine heard the tunes played by Mrs. Casey. And he said that he hoped that he would retain the tunes, remember the tunes during the journey across the sea, across the Blasket Sound, 
back to his home on the Great Blasket. And he would then go into his house, into the room, and he would play the tune in the hopes that he had remembered it correctly from Mrs Casey. So it was a very literal description of how the tunes could travel. The letters of Eilisha Sullivan, beginning in 1931, to Londoner George Chambers, with whom she'd struck up a friendship when he visited the Great Blasket, offer another window on daily life in the island. Here, George Chambers describes his first encounter with Eilish. To a person who has not had the actual experience, or merely visited the island on a warm summer's day, it's difficult to make it clear what is meant by the bald statement that there is no shop on the island. No doctor, no nurse, no priest, no church, and no landlord. Many of the children have never seen a tree or anything that goes on wheels, while gas and electricity are unknown mysteries. On the afternoon of my first day, I was strolling up the hillside when I met two girls coming down with an ass who was loaded with two panniers of turf. Both the girls were bareheaded and wore neither shoes nor stockings and were clothed in little more than rags, but two more beautiful girls I have seldom seen. And they were as merry and unaffected with me as though I had been an elder brother. This was my first meeting with Eilish and her sister Mary. In one of her letters, Eilish spoke of the preparations on the island for Christmas. From here on out, we'll be whitewashing our houses inside and outside and washing up everything for Christmas. We do have the wall, well, I mean the top and around the window, decorated with ivy. We don't have holly and we make posies ourselves. A sheep is killed in almost every house on Christmas Eve here. And she spoke of the journey across to the mainland for Mass on Christmas Day and how some of the younger folk would stay on for the RAN the following day. All islanders were out for nine o'clock Mass this morning. Some were out for seven o'clock for fear of being late. All the old and married folk came home but nine or ten of the younger boys stayed out to join the RAN tomorrow. My brother Sean is with them and he brought his fiddle. Also a few girls stayed out to join in the fun and the hall dancing tomorrow night. So it's great fun to the young and airy these days to follow the island RAN from village to village. They were there last year and everyone was generous to them and everyone enjoyed the fiddle playing. But here on our island there are only old couples and the life has gone out of it with the RAN. After tomorrow, with the help of God, the island will be back to normal when they'll return and they'll be telling us of their adventures and of those who welcome them most. And there were certain tunes associated with the RAN. I think I'd love a time machine <laughs> to see what, what exactly went on. Um, and it's funny, today the RAN is more associated with the town you know, but it was obviously a very, it was a big day for everyone, you know, back um, through the years. And um, music was so central in that tradition always anyway, and it was such a celebration. So um, there's that tune um, 
that would say Shawnee and Vickle and Dolly and them would have all played and also the mainlanders here um, so Morris Quinn any of those musicians called Partha Drolene which was very much associated with um, the, that day and that tradition and maybe walking um, maybe if it was from house to house which they would have done in Proch de Moor, but um, it was just associated with the day and it's found on the island with the islander, with the island musicians, as well as those in the mainland, it's a it's a nice little tune. Part the van or part the Drolene, the ran tune, and funny enough, that's not played in town. You know, so they had their own thing going on, um, to the west of the town. Music was much more than just a pleasant hobby. It was a real passion. You know, they have this competition where you have Chano singing in Erachtus and you daren't speak a word in the house when the Chano's, you know, was on the competition. And he would have the wireless as, you know, and he'd have it turned up to the last dial and you would nearly hear it in Ballyferter, you know. It used to be so loud and he used to be sitting on the chair and listening to every song and every verse and there'd be ten verses in some songs and he loved that, you know. And one of the songs Dolly could have heard on the radio was Regnock Menodi, which was recorded for RTE in 1957 and sung by Blasket Islander Podrick Carney. His father bishad the songs that were recorded from Blasket Islanders, they are largely in keeping with the songs of Shannon's singers. And the love songs are very much to the fore. These would be songs like Andrine on Down or Brokna Corrigabon at the edge of the White Rock or Reich Rock Mraudi. And Reich Rock Mraudi was particularly uh, popular among the islanders. It would roughly translate as the smooth hill of the dark woman. And it tells the story of a woman who has left the fairy Lys or Rat and a man comes along and he sees her and wants to woo her, but she says she has to hasten back into the fairy Rat or the fairy Lys. And the version that was recorded mentions Crochrenen or Mount Brandon as being the residence of the fairy folk and it's an indication of how 
some of the songs were made particularly local or given a local flavour by singers as they refer to place names and places that are in their immediate surroundings. It was seen almost inevitable that once people reached mid or late teens that they would emigrate and most would emigrate to America. There was a school on the Blesket Island which closed in 1941 where part of the education at that time was seen to be almost a preparation for emigration and emphasis was placed on the teaching of English to help prepare the children for that kind of a future. A song that introduces a great deal of the social history and culture of the island is a song called Benacht Hina, The Blessings of God. And it comments on the impact and the sadness of emigration as people leave the island. And the island is mentioned in the last line of the song. But the song itself says, Blessing of God to the small island in which I am. It's not difficult to imagine the heartbreak of emigration of people as they left the island, say the 1930s and 40s in particular, and with little expectation of returning, and most of them emigrated to the United States. And the song describes leaving the island um, and the blessing is being sent to the island. It describes going to Waterford and the liner would leave Waterford to travel on that long journey over to America. And one particularly poignant line in the song says... Barlam Logus Iha on Na Blianud Erin Malud Hall. I would rather have one day and one night in this little island than a year in a place so far away. So I think that expression of love for the home and missing home and the impact of emigration is very strong. And Roshi Nikhailika recorded Banak Dari Nahina especially for this program. <laughs> Ber Benachtori Nahina 
One piece of music is especially associated with the Blaskets, Port Nabuki, Song of the Fairies, or Lament of the Fairies, as Robin Flower called it. There are variations of the legend attached to Port Nabuki, but they all give the tune an otherworldly origin on Inishvikalorn. Robin Flower gave an account of the legend as it was told to him. In the old days, when this island was inhabited, a man sat alone one night in his house, soothing his loneliness with a fiddle. He was playing, no doubt, the favourite music of the countryside, jigs and reels and hornpipes, the hurrying tunes that would put light heels on the feet of the dead. But as he played, he heard another music without, going over the roof in the air. It passed away to the cliffs and returned again, and so backwards and forwards again and again, a wandering air wailing in repeated phrases, till at last it had become familiar in his mind. And he took up the fallen bow 
and drawing it across the strings, followed note by note the lamenting voices as they passed above him. Ever since that tune, Port Nabuhi, the fairy music, has remained with his family, skilled musicians all, and if you hear it played by a fiddler of that race, you will know the secret of Inishvihilon. The fairies, they say, are not immortal. They, too, know death. And the music that went over the house on the island that night was a lament for one of the fairy hosts that had died and was carried to this island for burial. That fairy music, played upon an island fiddle, is a lament for a whole world of imagination, banished irrevocably now, but still faintly visible in the afterglow of a sunken sun. Blasket Islander Sean Cashed recorded his version of Port Nabuki on the fiddle in 1968 for the collector Moorish McGonagall. These days the tune is probably best known as a slow air, as performed by masters such as Sean O'Reardon, Liam O'Flynn and the late Tony McMahon. I was always fascinated by that, that people wouldn't say they composed, you know, they heard the music from whether that's from someone crying or from someone, the sound of the seals or the, all the different versions around where Partnabuki was heard. I just love that, that they didn't say, I wrote this tune last night. And it was totally different. It came from somewhere else. And that connection with the other world is just, it was a huge thing for the islanders. I mean, they were very connected with the other world and Pishoga and everything like that. But although it's now thought of as a slow air, it was used as a dance tune on the Blaskets, as Aoife Granville discovered when she played it as a slow air on the tin whistle for her grandmother. She said, hmm, 
Das, you know, but she wasn't overly impressed, I felt. It always stuck with me. But she said something along the lines of we used to be dancing with it. And I kind of thought she's, you know, because it was such a beautiful slow air and there wasn't really any beat to it. And it was only, I guess, I was lucky enough to kind of work on some of those AO Guthuma tapes when I was working in UCC many years ago. And I heard, you know, sort of, um, quicker versions of Partner Bouquet, um, played by Dolly, played by Tom Lawn, Seanine Vickle, almost waltz-like, you know, with a lovely rhythm in them. And I kind of just realised, you know, she did have a point <laughs> because the slower version was, was really completely different. And um, they talked a lot about playing it for dancing, Partner Bouquet. So I, I guess there's two versions of it. And we like to play the waltz version now because I kind of feel, oh, there's some connection there, you know, and it's beautiful. It's nice that the two sort of versions are there, I think. They're very, they're completely different, you know, to one another, even though the notes, the melody is the same, essentially, you know. In the 1960s, a recording was made of Dolly lilting the tune. There's a song called Reitzes Michati Valkyracht. I will go strolling with my catty on my couch. And this is a song which is essentially associated so deeply with Blasket Island. A woman called Catty, a young woman called Catty, was said to have been gathering shlokan or sloke type of seaweed on the north side of the island. And she fell and drowned. And the young man who was in love with her was heartbroken. And he emigrated to the States. And it was said... In some instances, some accounts say that um, he could hear her singing even when he was in the States. Other accounts say that he died of a broken heart. Um, and other accounts say that she could be heard on the, the Great Blasket singing. But the song itself, again, writes as Michati Valkyracht a Macher Nishlet, that they would go walking together out on the, on the mountains. And Reynick recorded Anya Iliha singing Rites as Makati in 1989. <laughs> Nadeg, 
Eilish Nisulavon wrote to George Chambers in the early 40s, telling of the decline of life on the Blaskets as the numbers were being depleted by emigration. Tonight is very fine and the moon is shining bright and I feel the promise of summer in the air and sky. But such a night as this would have been very different on the island ten years ago. There is no stir or sound on the island tonight. No children laughing or shouting in the moonlight or later in the night when the children would be away in their dreams and you could hear for miles, mixed in with the echoes of the waves. Rows of fair young colleens and fours and fives following on from each other, singing lovely Irish songs of love and joy and the older folk with their heads out the open doors gladly listening to them. The island is just dead, I may say. But just for old time's sake, I sang a few verses myself of the old school songs we used to have. There was no one listening but my daughter Neve. A lot of relevant material has doubtless been lost, and as is the case with so much of field work and collecting material, it can only give a snapshot of some of the music and songs. So for many reasons, I think we can be especially glad that we have uh, to hand some of what has survived, but we also need to realise perhaps that so much was never recorded. <laughs> 